Good morning, Centennial Covenant Church. As I record this message, I have no idea if we really are going to have a snowpocalypse. So in the meantime, I hope that as you are listening to this, that you are safe, that you are warm, and that you're enjoying a good hot beverage. Back in October, the last time that I preached, I preached out of Acts, and it was the sermon of Peter, not Peter, the sermon of Stephen, and that Paul was present at Stephen's martyrdom. And here we are, decades later in the story, and now it's Paul's life that is threatened. So as we look at the not quite a trial. It's more like a hearing of Paul before Agrippa. We're going to see that all of this is happening because Festus has a problem. Now, I want to remind you of who Festus is. Festus is a governor that took over after Felix. And Carl explained quite a bit of this last week. Uh, but what we see is that Festus has an embarrassing problem. He has a person who has asked to speak to the emperor, to defend himself before the emperor, but no crime has been committed in Roman law. So this is for Festus, a politically charged situation. It is a threat to his political career and a bit embarrassing for him to send Paul to go see the emperor with no real lawful reason to do so is going to sort of deny his competence. And so he has an opportunity when Agrippa II comes to visit him, he has an opportunity to get the insight, almost to consult, if you will, with this king. And King Agrippa is King Agrippa II. His dad is the dad who died in Acts 12 after, um, after asking for the execution of the disciple James, the son of Zebedee. So uh, it's important for us to understand that Festus has a big problem. Agrippa, he hopes, will help him solve this problem. And Paul knows exactly who Agrippa is. So by the time that Agrippa is listening to Paul's testimony, a few things have happened. Agrippa has become king, and the emperor has given Agrippa the authority to select and nominate the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem. So Agrippa is a highly influential man, even though his own heritage, his own um, Jewishness has often questioned. It's important for us to know that Paul knows that Agrippa could get him out of the situation. Agrippa can exert his influence for Paul. It's kind of like Agrippa can give Paul the get out of jail free card. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at this and I'm going to read quite a bit as we go. So if you have your Bibles open, 
Let's uh, follow along. Let's start specifically at verse 13. Okay, at verse 13 of chapter 25. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them it is not the Roman custom. And here's, here's the embarrassing part. It's not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have for faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend the case. He goes back to down to verse 18 and he says, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I expected. Instead, he had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So we see here that Festus is in a bit of a pickle and Agrippa responds to Festus, I would like to hear this man himself. So, so the stage has been set. And now we see that Paul is going to go once again before another powerful person. What an opportunity for Paul not to share the gospel, but like he did last week, but to get out of this whole mess. And the, the tension in the story is, will he do that? Will Paul use to his advantage Agrippa's influence to get himself out of this problem? So it's time to meet Paul. In verse 23, Luke writes, The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus. Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found he has done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write, for I think it is unreasonable and personally embarrassing to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. So Agrippa takes over the meeting, and it's clear that Agrippa the king is taking over. 
he tells Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And now is the moment where Paul can go in a couple different directions. What direction will he take? Well, he starts with his story. He starts with his testimony. He says, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So with that introduction, and with his acknowledgement of Agrippa's power and authority, he begins to tell his story. Now, Paul's story is a classic before and after story. Who he was before Christ versus who he was after his encounter with Christ. What's important for us to know, though, is that Paul already had a foundation of knowledge. Paul already growing up as a Jewish man, being educated as a Pharisee, he knew what the scriptures said. He knew them backwards and forwards. He himself knew the hope of the Jewish people was in the hands of a future Messiah. So be ready to listen to how Paul lays out his defense before a king who knows the prophets and knows about the future Messiah. Here we go. We are in verse four of chapter 26. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope. Okay, let's just pause. He's going to say, He's going to say why he's in this pickle. He's going to say why he is in trouble. Listen to what he says. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. And then he goes on to explain the promise, right? The promise of the future Messiah. And then he ends, and it feels abrupt, but remember, the charge, according to Festus's way of thinking, is that Paul is supposedly claiming that a dead man is alive. So for the benefit of us listening into this, listen to what Paul says to his audience. Why should any of you consider it incredible? that God raises the dead. He's making an illusion. He's making a reference to this dead man is not dead at all. This dead man is alive because God himself has risen him from the dead. He continues. 
I too was convinced. Remember, he's still in the before picture of his testimony. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Now, Paul is painting a picture of who he was prior to his encounter with Christ. And he says, look, I get, I understand why the Jews are bringing these charges, but I now re-understand, I now know with certainty that the hope that I had as a Pharisee has been answered in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And he talks about how he went to go persecute the Christians, that out of his zeal for his own religion and for what he knew before, he was trying to deal with this problem of a Messiah as it worked itself out in the lives of Christians. And he says in verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests and about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I asked him, who are you, Lord? And the light responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. In other words, I'm that guy you thought was dead. I'm alive. Now get up and stand on your feet. And then Paul goes on to explain to King Agrippa that after that moment of conversion, he also received his call and that his call was to take the message of the gospel, even at his own personal risk to the Gentiles. So Paul continues in his reasoning with King Agrippa. He says, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Paul has this hope, and this hope was a part of his before story. Paul has a testimony, a witness of experiencing and encountering Christ. Three, he has a vision, a vision that will now guide the rest of his life. And he's saying to King Agrippa, all I'm doing is following the directive from above. All I'm doing is obeying the voice of my vision. And he says, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And 
as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and also to the Gentiles. So as he's giving his testimony, we're now going to see two reactions. We are going to see Festus, the, the um, confused and embarrassed governor. We're going to see how he reacts to this story. And then we're going to see Agrippa's reaction and how he's going to react having knowledge of Jewish culture, Jewish history, Jewish scripture. Festus interrupts Paul. And he says, you are out of your mind, Paul. You are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. Have you ever shared your before and after story? Have you ever shared your own meeting of Jesus and how that moment where you met Jesus, you had an encounter with Jesus, changed your life forever. Have you ever someone had someone look at you and go, you're nuts? Why? Why are, why are you being religious now? Why does Jesus matter? Why, why, why have you given up your Sundays? As if our Christian faith is just a matter of a weekend. Why are, why are you now being this way? Why do you pray? Why do you ask God to help you? Go help yourself. You've got the power to help yourself. You're nuts. Sometimes when we share our story, people reject it. And they make it very clear that they're rejecting our story. They might be polite, say, oh, good for you. I guess you, I guess you just need religion and I don't. We cannot guarantee how people will respond to the gospel. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to guarantee a gospel result. We're called to share the gospel through our own lives, through the knowledge and words of scripture. We are here to invite others to rethink who Jesus is. So let's, let's see how Paul responds to this interruption. He says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa knows what Paul is asking him. He's asking him, what about you? Do you see the hope of the prophets manifest in Jesus Christ? Do you see Jesus, this man who is not dead, but instead is alive and now risen and 
back with the Father? Do you see him as Messiah and Savior? Agrippa said, said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Rejection number two. Some scholars believe that Agrippa in many ways is buying himself some time. He has a lot of people, important people in the room that he, uh, as a king, right, uh, savvy in the ways of politics, he sees what Paul is doing. And some believe that he's even quite sympathetic because of the way that he just sort of lets Paul uh, tell his story and then goes, yeah, you, you're not convincing me at all. Paul replies, look at his response, short time or long. In other words, I hope I've planted a seed. I hope that by sharing my testimony, you will one day come to faith in Christ. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. And then he makes a little joke. Well, except for these chains, right? And who is he? He is a follower of Jesus, a man who, when he received his vision, then gave him a vision for the rest of his life. His encounter with Christ was now going to be what gave him his purpose, what gave him his direction. And so he does not make the most of this opportunity from a worldly perspective. He does not use Festus's embarrassing political problem to his own advantage. He doesn't try to solve his own issue by trying to manipulate Agrippa into giving him a get out of jail free card and using his influence and authority within Jewish religion to help him out. He doesn't, he doesn't do that because his life is so much more than this life. You see, what Paul has is an eternal perspective in a temporary moment. He has an eternal perspective in a temporary moment. His vision of Christ, his encounter with Christ on that road to Damascus changed everything for him. It redirected him, refocused him, gave him a new and living hope that he now would live in. You see, our sermon series is one church every day and everywhere. Paul knows that his life now is the living out of Jesus every day and everywhere. So what's our move, Centennial Covenant Church? What's your move? What's my move? What's our move? Who needs to hear your testimony? I'm just going to start there. I know that we have a lot of restrictions right now. I know that our social networks feel diminished. 
I know that our opportunities are strange and different, but the gospel will still come out of us and how we live out our lives, be it in a time of restriction or be it in a time of freedoms, be it in a tense climate of politics and injustice, or in a time of ease and festivity. Do you know someone who needs to hear your before and after story? Do you know someone who needs to be reminded of the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ? In the study guide that I put together for us this week, I have a couple of uh, action items, I guess we can call action items, practical action items responding to this message. And one of them is to make a list, to make a list of those who are feeling a little hopeless in these times. For those who, like Festus, are a little confused as to what's going on. Or maybe like Agrippa, seem to know a lot, but don't believe. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to share your story, to give a witness as to who Jesus is in your life? And be prepared. Not everyone responds to the gospel positively. Not everyone responds to our stories with faith and acceptance, but you might be planting a seed. You might be leading someone, taking that first step to encountering Jesus for themselves. Will you extend an invitation? Will you share your vision of who Jesus is with someone who does not have a vision of Christ to anchor themselves in and to hang on to. Centennial Covenant Church, we are one church with one vision. Our vision is of a risen Savior who offers us life with him and for him. So as you consider your next steps, your move, as the Holy Spirit brings to mind those who need to be told your story, who need to be invited into either a new relationship with Christ or a deeper relationship with Christ. I pray that you will, be, despite these restrictions, you will reach out and that you would not take advantage of people's problems, of, of people's situations for your own ends and for your own goals, but that you would, like Paul, remember the main thing, and that is Jesus. And that we, though we have temporary problems, we have an eternal solution in Christ. Pray with me. 
Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are indeed alive. And though, though, and though this has caused so much frustration, so much confusion over the last 2000 years, we know that you are alive and well, and that we are living out your presence and your call and your purpose in our lives every day. So Lord Jesus, give us a vision of you. Help us to make the most of our opportunities, not to forward our own interests, but to instead forward the interests of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us all safe and secure in the comfort of our homes, knowing full well, Lord, that there are so many so many who right now are suffering due to winter and specifically due to this weather system. So we pray for your protection, Lord, for all of those opportunities that they have to receive shelter. May they find shelter. Lord, may you comfort them. May you keep them safe. May you comfort us and keep us all safe. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.